Welcome to episode two of the Bros, Balls, and Bourbon podcast. That name is slightly childish, but so are we, and that's what we're going with. So we're literally just a show with two dudes who like sharing a drink and talking about sports, and we thank everyone who submitted name ideas. We now officially have one, and we uh, did promise a shout-out on episode one to the person who suggested the name we chose, but we are selfish, and we went with one of our own creations. So shout-out to us, Bros, Balls, and Bourbon. All right, that's fun. I am one of your hosts, Jeremy Dorn, coming to you from Asheville, North Carolina. I'm here with my co-pilot, Matt Cushman, in Nashville, Tennessee. We had so much fun last time, we thought we'd come back for more. So what's up, Cush? Be honest, man. Are you actually drinking any bourbon right now? Uh, you know what? Actually, I <laughs> it's Friday. Uh, today's my day off. I've been productive. I've got all the things done around the house that I need to do. So, yes, I feel that I deserve a gentlemanly beverage. You do. You absolutely do. You always do. well let's uh let's not waste any time here let's dive right into the story of the day which of course remains the nfl playoffs uh we saw your guy the goat tom brady and the tampa bay bucks beat new orleans and move on the only lower seed to advance they'll take on rogers and the green bay packers at lambeau this weekend while the bills and chiefs square off in the afc championship we have four teams left so first things first matt what's your biggest takeaway from the divisional round you know um First off, I was silly to ever bet against Tom. I've watched him play for the better part of a decade, so I should know better. Um, but I, I will say, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily an in-moment game for me. I, I think it was watching the interviews after the Baltimore-Buffalo game and watching Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs in their interview, they were doing a joint interview and just the pure joy. The two of them seem to have genuinely playing with each other. Um, you know, Diggs actually went out and said, you know, this is the guy you want to play with and take that as you want as a thinly veiled insult or a blatant disrespect of Kirk cousins. I don't, I don't really <laughs> care to hear or there for me, but when you have that kind of relationship especially on a team and, and that's having success, I think that speaks volumes to the success that team's going to have. Um, so, so honestly, I mean, there were a lot of takeaways from last weekend, um, but that was the one that really stuck out to me the most, just seeing that bond that, you know, the digs who kind of came in, uh, we knew he was electric, but it was, it was a question of, you know, Josh Allen can throw the ball a mile, but can he throw it accurately? And that was something he struggled with over his first two seasons. And, he made everybody who said he was a wasted pick, including myself, um, look foolish this year. And, and uh, that was my biggest takeaway, just that, that relationship they seem to have. And they genuinely seem to be having fun. Yeah, they seem to have a really good rapport, those two especially. Obviously, the entire team has excellent chemistry. Um, but I'd say that is somewhat similar to my biggest takeaway. I think just underestimating the Bills in general was probably – a mistake many people, us included, made. Uh, I was definitely with you originally with Josh Allen. I was not on the Josh Allen train. Granted, he wasn't as good as he was this year until now, uh, but that is progression. You know, he is obviously edging on elite territory at this point, especially if he puts together another big season. So underestimating that team, my biggest takeaway of the weekend, you know, they had what we both believed to be a tough challenge in front of them. They really didn't break a sweat against the Ravens. You know, it, it makes me think even that given Kansas City's struggles against Cleveland, even before Mahomes went out, that Buffalo actually has a better shot in that game this weekend than I expected. So, you know, we both 
we both hit on the Chiefs, of course. We got that right. It was a little bit of a nail-biter, but we got it right. Uh, we both missed on the Ravens. We chose them to beat those Buffalo Bills. Um, and we both hit on the Packers. I took the Bucks to beat the Saints. You had the opposite, not to rub it in or anything. But mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> but one thing we'll, we'll definitely agree on is that these two championship games are destined to be high-scoring affairs. So here's a fun kind of mini-competition in our NFL topic. Which of these two games, these two championship games, four explosive offenses, which of the two games will be the highest scoring in total points? So I, I, I'll tell you this. I did a little research today. Uh-oh. And um, the over-under for the Bucks and Packers is 52. The over-under for the Bills and Chief is 56. Jeez. So that's ridiculous. So if I'm, go- if I'm going with Vegas – and I feel like they usually know what they're talking about. I'm going to go with the Bills and Chiefs. Okay. That's totally fair. I'm going with the NFC game. Again, not just to be different, but because why not? You know, even though it's going to be really cold, we might even have some slight snowfall in Green Bay. It's not like Tom Brady has never played in the snow before. I'm sure some of your best memories as a football fan yourself are of watching him dominate in the snow, but I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of TD passes from both sides. A bit of a second half back and forth between those two Hall of Fame QBs. I'm talking at least 30 points for each side. I think one team cracks 30 in the AFC game. I think they're both high-scoring affairs, but I'm going to stick on the NFC side. Okay, I I, I like that. Uh, I like that that's a little different. And uh, something to remember too is both these teams played each other back in Week Six of this past season. Hmm. Nice and rematch. The, the Bucks demolished the Packers. I think it was 38-10, I think was the fun. Green Bay went up 10-0 and then never scored again for the rest of the game. And the Chiefs, uh, so the Bills played their defense to stop the, stop the pass because Mahomes is Mahomes. And the Bills let them run. And I think the, Bill, the Bills had – I looked it up today because I was actually reading about it. The Bills had 197 yards before contact in that game, which is wow, in ridiculous. So, um, but, but again, I think now that they've played each other and take what you want week six in the NFL, especially given this COVID year. And again, cause always COVID rears its ugly head. I think there's, you can't take too much away from either one of those games, but um, I like, I like that you picked the NFC game. I'm going to stick with the AFC game for the highest scoring. Either way, I think, honestly, if we could – I read a funny article on The Ringer, and the, the I forget who the author was, but his whole point was forget the game. You just need to get Mahomes and Josh Allen onto a field, and whoever can throw the ball the farthest the most out of 25 times gets to go to the Super Bowl. Absolutely. I can only hope <laughs> that all of the quarterbacks in these championship games really aired out, especially in that AFC game. I mean – you know, like you said, it's a battle of two guys who can really sling it. Um, you know, I'm going to be very disappointed if we're not seeing multiple, like, five receiver sets, deep touchdown passes, crazy plays, highlight reel finishes. Uh, you know, watch us beg for that, and then we get, like, 10 to 7 in the snow and 9 to 6 or something terrible. That would be the worst thing to ever happen in these, <laughs> these two games. But we'll see. We'll see which game ends up the highest scoring Uh, But regardless of that, let's talk about uh, our predictions here. So clean slate, we're starting 0-0 and each now that we just have the four teams left. Who do you have advancing to the Super Bowl? We'll start in the NFC. 
So, um, again, I hate to I hate to go against Brady because that's he's been so good for so long, and he made me look foolish last week when I chose the Saints. Um, you know, I, ugh. Uh, you know, what? I'm gonna go with Brady. I, 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 I love that Rogers is playing out of his mind. I think he's a man possessed. Um, I think that they're gonna do very well. I think he's going to air it out like we were talking about, and 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 it's going to be an offensive fireworks. I hope I hope it is like you said. I hope that's what's going on. But I just think Brady has too many weapons, and if you watch the if you watch the Bucks last week, it, their defense was really good. Um, now, granted, Rogers' arm is a little bit stronger than Breeze's, but um, I'm going to go with the Bucks. I think the Bucks are going to make it and go to the Super Bowl. I love it. I'm glad that you went back to your favorite roots here and chose Tom Brady to succeed after getting burned by picking against him last week. But I get that. I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be high scoring. I think it's going to be close. But I am going with the home team, so we are against each other again. I am taking the Packers to win one more time at Lambeau and advance to the Super Bowl. I think this is just Aaron Rodgers' year again. You know, he's won it before, but he has been so good this year. That team has been so good this year. I think they will get it done at home against Tom Brady. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be a, you know, high scoring matchup, but I think the Packers are in the end, the more complete team. I think they'll have the final say. So who you have in the AFC? Uh, gosh, you know, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with, uh, I'm going to go with Josh Allen. You know what? He's made me look foolish this year. Um, I, I just – I think he's – and here's why. I think – and I, I forget where I heard it. I heard it on some show I was talking about – well, listening to. And they were talking about the game. And he is the quarterback who has the most pressure on him in terms of if he doesn't play the best he's ever played, they don't stand a chance against the Chiefs. But I also feel like he has the least amount of pressure on him because nobody saw this coming – Nobody thought they'd be where they were this year, maybe next year, but not this year. So as far as I'm concerned, he's playing with house money. And again, to go back to the interview, they're just having fun. And I think Mahomes, while he has cleared the protocol, uh, concussion protocol, I still don't feel so confident about that foot because that foot was bugging him before he got knocked out of the game last week. And I think the bills are going to really dial in on that and put a lot of pressure on him and force him to beat him. And again, that's, that could blow up in their face very quickly. But uh, I'm feeling very strongly about the Bills on this. All right. Well, good news and bad news. Good news is that you are the fun one. I'm the boring one who's picking the two number one seeds. Bad news is I'm picking the Chiefs, and we are still at odds. All three predictions we've made so far have been opposites. But I am going to go with the Chiefs. I think they are clearly the better team, despite the injury concerns, despite the underperformance against the Browns. I do think the Bills played better football than them than them last weekend. I think Josh Allen will have some big here I am on the biggest stage moments in that game, but I do see the Chiefs scoring a late touchdown to pull away. I think they will win at home. Uh, maybe that's just the 49er fan and me still having PTSD from the Super Bowl, but I wrote it down. There's no going back now. We have made our picks. You have the Buccaneers and the Bills, the two underdog teams advancing to the Super Bowl. I have the Packers and the Chiefs, the two favorites. Again, I'm the boring one, but that's where we're at. No going back now, all right? 
All right. Um, yeah, let's do it. I mean, I, I think I, I mean, I could go either way, but I like that we're going opposite picks here. So let's st- I'm going to stick. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going with the, I'll tell you what bills. Uh, I'm going to say the bills, the bills win on Sunday and I will jump through a table like the bills mafia fans on Monday. That's what I'm going with. That is a massive promise, and I'm also writing that down. <laughs> is it going to be? Is it going to be one of the tables you personally own? Are you going to rent one? How's this going to work? Because I don't know how Alex will feel about you ruining furniture just for a bet. Yeah, no, I, I'll probably have to go out and get a cheap table because uh, if I break a table, then I'm uh, I'm going to get thrown out of the house. So. <laughs> Yes. Well, you know, you do work at a hospital. So worst case scenario, you break an elbow or something. At least you can go to work and kill two birds with one stone, get paid while you get fixed up. So exactly. right. (laughs) We'll see how that goes. I wrote it down, though. I will help you fund the cheap table if the Bills should win. I would love to see that. Please video it and we will share it widely. But let's uh, let's pivot now. Let's jump into the NBA for a little bit. We have to talk, of course, about James Harden, the Brooklyn Nets. He is obviously, obviously on a better team now than he had in Houston. And it is a small sample size at only a few games thus far. But so far, Harden is balling. He and KD look like they're gelling fine. The Nets are now 9-7. and seven. They've won four of their last five. Harden has put up a triple-double in two of his first three games. And though we've only seen the big three together once at the time of our recording today, they all performed very well in that double OT loss to Cleveland when Colin Sexton went absolutely crazy. But does seeing the new look Nets change your opinion about their chances against the Lakers, or is it too soon to tell? Talk to me. You know, um, I think first off, uh, the first thing I'm going to say, uh, you said, oh, they had a good showing last night, or last night, because we watched Vegas Cavs. No, they, I mean, the, yes, everybody scored. But he, here's the thing. The Cavs are the second worst team offensively in the league. And they scored 147 points on the Nets. Like, you, that is embarrassing. And this is exactly what everybody was harping about. And one of the things I think I've, you and I have spoken about off air is that, yeah, for they're literally going to have to outscore everybody. And I, yes, so far they look great. Um, it's sample size is very small, but you know, one of the things is if you, if you looked last night, the leading shot taker was Kyrie Irving and he was doing all these stupid step backs and all these ridiculous shots that look great when they go in, but they don't all the time. And just making up for lost time, you know, it's been a while. I, I mean, clearly <laughs> he was, and if we can get, we'll get into Ky- Kyrie in a little bit, but, um, mm-hmm. But, you know, he t- here's the thing. You have the most prolific scorer in the NBA in James Harden. Why is Kyrie Irving taking twice as many shots as Harden? I, and, and this is what I kind of alluded to and, and what we've talked before about this, and I think we spoke about it last week. Um, I have no doubt that they have all the talent in the world to push the Lakers. I don't think they'll beat the Lakers. I think they could challenge the Lakers. However, again – as with any team he's ever been on, it comes down to Kyrie and whether he's willing to play. And, you know, having watched him in Boston, having watched his tantrums, for lack of a better word, I think, and I think that, that and again, I'm speaking in my own opinion. I don't have sources. I don't know, any, know anybody on the inside. But I think that's part of the reason he jacked up twice as many shots as Harden is because 
he was feeling he's pouting because everyone's talking about, oh, Harden's so great. Look at the Nets. They don't really need Irving. And I think that's one of the reasons Irving came back so soon because he's never played in Cleveland. He's played in Cleveland once since he left there. That mm-hmm. was one of always the games that he could never play in for whatever reason. But he made sure to play there. And I think it was more so to prove, like, hey, I'm still Kyrie. I'm, you know, he, he got into a, a measuring contest with, with Harden. I, I think that's going to, again, he's the Charlie Day of the NBA. He's the Charlie <laughs> Day of the Nets. He is the wild card. And if he can get along with everybody in the sandbox, I think they could really push um, the Lakers because I think the Bucks are going backwards. Uh, I think they're the, the Nets, which hurts to say, but I think they're the class of the East right now. And I think they're going to remain there. They're only going to get better. But uh, no, I still think the Lakers have more depth and more talent overall. And I don't think the Nets will beat them. Yeah. So I think obviously 147 points is a crap load of points to give up, even in two overtimes. Uh, they probably have some defensive issues to sort out in Brooklyn. Um, but I will tip my cap to Colin Sexton. He went crazy. It was impossible to stop. Just had one of those games where he got in the zone, and you do have to consider that. Roll tap. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. And, of course, uh, consider that, you know, the, the big three <laughs> were playing in their first game together officially. But I'm pretty much in agreement with you there. I, I don't think that, based on what we've seen, again, only a few games, that the addition of Harden necessarily makes – the Nets, an instant favorite to beat the Lakers. I think it definitely made them the instant favorite in the East, but we knew that already. Um, Watching them play so far, I think the experiment might work better than I originally thought, Uh, but then you go and watch the Lakers and it kind (laughs) of washes everything else away. I don't see them losing to anyone, no matter how many stars the opponent in the East has, assuming that the Lakers are the representative for the Western Conference in the finals. Um, But I want to touch a little more on Kyrie Irving. So first things first, I'm going to set a timer for you. I know you've talked about it a little bit, but I'm going to set a timer for you to take 30 seconds to just air your grievances as a Celtics fan, someone who has closely followed Irving, and then I will play devil's advocate on Kyrie, but take this chance to complain freely. I will not interrupt. Go ahead. Okay. So first off, I want to start this by saying Kyrie is one hell of a baller. The kid can play flat out. He handles the ball the way he can change directions, shoot. The kid is talented as all get out. I hate his attitude. I think he's immature. The way he literally tore apart a Celtics team with his petulance, with his immaturity, with his backhanded, uh, subtle, and I'm I'm doing quotations though you can't see me, subtle comments, which were obnoxious. And he always wants to talk about, Charles Barkley said it best, like, you're not an artist. You're not a person of the world. You're an athlete. Like, stop wanting to be held to a different thing. You're an athlete. And if he wants to be a philanthropist, which I know he does a lot of amazing things, and I think the world of him for doing that. But he also strikes me as someone who does that and then wants everybody to know about it. It's like you're either about it or you're not. And, and frankly okay. to me, I think he's – I don't like him. I'm okay, glad he's no longer on the Celtics. I'm going to cut you off there. That was a little more than 30 seconds. You were on a roll, so I let you you go because you were on a roll, and I think you made some fair points there. But I definitely want to circle back on 
this discussion, you know, you call Kyrie a wild card, um, you know, unfocused, maybe bad attitude. And I think he has proven that all of those things are fair. So what I want to talk about is that one can be a wild card while still being a very good person, which you again alluded to, and it's not lost on either you or I that Kyrie is one of the most philanthropic athletes on the planet. Um, I'll just run through a list of some of his greatest hits real quick. Yeah. Uh, among many, again, these are just a few highlights, but major donations to Feeding America and City Harvest, which are two organizations that provide meals to those in need. Uh, he donated food and masks to the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, which there's a fascinating story about his family connections to that tribe, by the way, which we'll talk about at a different time. But uh, he also committed one and a half million dollars to help WNBA players who opted out of the 2020 season. He paid off college tuition for nine students at Lincoln University, which is an HBCU in Pennsylvania. Uh, most recently, reportedly, he purchased a home for the family of George Floyd. And that's a lot. You know, it's a lot of really good stuff. Again, just the highlights. Personally, I only knew about a few of those beforehand. So I do take slight bit of issue with your you're saying that maybe he just does that and then wants everyone to know about it. Because I, I would argue the other way. I'd say that he does a lot of it on the down low. Obviously, the big ones where he partners with a um an organization and you know it has a press release attached to it and everything like that of course that's going to get media attention but i would argue one that he doesn't do everything out in the public like that some of it is on the down low and then we find out about it later and we're like oh well that was cool and two i'm not sure there's anything wrong with flaunting it you know uh, lebron james is also a very philanthropic nba player mm-hmm. i think i've probably heard of most of the things he's done as far as service goes, and that's kind of part of the gig is you get more attention to the cause, raise more money for the cause, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, what I want to ask you about financially, you know, this is no sweat for Kyrie. He makes $33 million a year. Um, but the fact that he does these things, he goes a little bit beyond the boundaries of what I'd say a typical athlete does in service, uh, supporting causes more than just charities, if you will, is certainly something to be celebrated, which you, you mentioned. Um, but what I want to ask is, with all this considered, should we allow Kyrie Irving some grace with his personal stuff, considering that he's clearly doing the right things as a celebrity athlete? You know, it, it seems all of this philanthropy, for example, it's a lot more important to spotlight that than the fact that he needed a few games off to get his mind right, whatever the reason may be, as he put it. Uh, your thoughts on that? All right, all right, fine. I think maybe I'm being a little bit of a sourpuss because I'm a Celtics fan. I do think you provide a very, very sound argument. I, I think that you're right. A lot of some because I've I've read about those things, but until I read about them, and, and I only read about some of them recently, I, I I wasn't aware of them either. So I'm willing to give them that. I think, uh, you know, it just kind of came to me, but I, I almost want to say Kyrie really reminds me of. Ron Artest in the fact that no one really got Ron Artest. Ron Artest, the only reason that half the people nowadays really aren't like NBA fans or anybody, the only reason they know Ron Artest is because of the, the melee at the palace back in, uh, what was it, 03 or 04 or 02, something like that, where he ran into the stands and beat the ever-living crap out of some fans because it, tur- <laughs> it turned into a melee. Um, but I think, you know – and again, I'm speculating as, as, a, as a nurse and all this, but Kyrie to me demonstrates like he, there may be some type, something 
more bigger and more important than basketball or philanthropy going on. Because, you know, just watching him and watching his mood swings and how he'll be very engaging and then he's completely shut off or he needs games to get his weeks to get his mind right and then not. I think if he was to take – I, I don't know. I do think he does a lot of good things. I, I think he does, does set an example in terms of filling. Uh, philanthropy is that the word that's the word all right that's the we're gonna go with that word <laughs> in terms of that i think he does set a standard because i think to who, who much is given much is expected um and and so i i respect him for that i just i have a hard time and i think i think as a sports fan and again i think this speaks more to our culture which is is i just I almost feel right now, I'm actually feeling kind of guilty the more I talk, is like I almost sound like one of those idiots, like just shut up and dribble. <laughs> and and uh, that's, not, that's not at all what I'm about. I think my frustrations with Kyrie come because Kyrie makes things about Kyrie. At least that was my experience when he was on the Celtics. It's not about the betterment of the team or helping bring the young people in. If he wants to be known as a philanthropist, right, you got to kind of use that caring, that good, that nurturing aspect that you're using out in the real world. You got to bring that in the locker room. Hmm. And I don't know if he's all he didn't do it in Boston. And I just I I don't know. I, I feel like I'm talking completely in circles here. But as a philanthropist, I think I think he's amazing. As an NBA player, he infuriates me. Yeah, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. I think you've raised some very fair points on both sides of this discussion. Um, and to be clear, I don't think that, you know, the two, you know, public life and sports athlete celebrity life necessarily have to be intertwined. I think we can talk about Kyrie being an excellent philanthropist and uh, member of society and at large and separate that from the issues we may have with his attitude on the court, his unwillingness to, you know, mentor young players in the locker room and how that may lead to his team's demise. Um, Obviously we're both in agreement. He's a fantastic player, great talent, good person. Even if he does have his own, whatever things going on in his personal life that lead to things like skipping three or four games. Uh, But yeah, I think, you know, neither of us would venture to make, a diagnosis or something, but I think it's clear that basketball, while he loves it, he's good at it. It might not be his number one priority. And in some ways that can have a negative effect on his team. So I think that's totally a fair conclusion to come to, especially for two people that are just fans. You know, we obviously don't know the guy. We follow him as sports fans, but from the outside looking in, that's, I think that's what it looks like to both of us is that he's, good person doing good things off the court. And unfortunately there are some negative consequences for his teams on the court. I think that's fair. If you agree with that assessment, let me know. I I do. And, and, and honestly, the more we talk about this, the more it kind of makes me think, because I think that I think what gets lost, especially, you know, as I was just prattling on, I think what gets lost is, these aren't just athletes. Like these are human beings with real life problems and real, real world issues. And I think for him to prove over the past two weeks prior to last night's game that, you know, it's, 
my life and my well-being is more important than basketball, like, I, I think that's huge. But I think if there is something going on and, you know, when he's ready, I do think he needs to address it like Ron Artest did, like Kevin Love did a couple of years ago when he came out and said, you know, I struggle with these issues. And now you see teams being proactive and hiring psychologists or things like that to help talk to players about, you know, you're, I guess I feel like that if he's so philanthropic in one aspect, if there is something going on that he he could cause bring attention to, like you said, like you said with LeBron, like LeBron does the things so he can bring attention to it, so you can get more publicity and more help. So I think. Uh, if there is something going on that I feel like the onus is on Kyrie to help bring attention to that, because I think he's shown that, and I respect him for it. The more this conversation has gone on, I feel kind of like a jackass for coming on so hard against him. <laughs> but I feel like he's showing that, you know, I'm more than Kyrie Irving, the basketball player. I'm Kyrie Irving, the person. And I think too often, like you said, in life, we view people as you're an athlete, do athlete things, win my favorite team a championship. But if there's something going on that he could bring attention to, I, I think that's a I, I think that's almost more noteworthy than buying the Floyd family a home or or something like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, he again, clearly a talented athlete, very good basketball player the Nets are better having him on their team. You know, he's an elite player. Um, off the court, he's got his own stuff going on, whether it's good or bad or personal or public. Um, you know, he clearly, you know, Kyrie, the person, is maybe misunderstood. But again, I think some of the negative effects of being Kyrie, the person, whether on or off the court, does carry over and that does affect his teams in some cases, you know, it, there's a whole, you know, <laughs> whole very long discussion we could have about this for hours and hours. We don't have that kind of time, but no. I think we're, we're pretty much in agreement here that he is obviously an elite talent athletically. He does great things off the court. There's something in the middle there that is misunderstood. It's a little confusing to us as outsiders. We don't really know what's going on if it's something major or not. And in some instances, it definitely does carry over to the court. You know, you, you talked about how he hoisted up so many more shots than Harden, who is the better scorer, uh, KD, who's a better scorer. It's just you wonder if any of that intertwines at some point. Um, and when we're talking just strictly on the court, you hope for the net's sake that they all three figure out a way to gel really well and figure out how to share those shots and get themselves in a position to challenge the Lakers or whoever comes out of the West. But um, yeah, I think that's a good discussion. Don't feel like a jackass. You definitely are not one. And you, you, <laughs> well, could yeah. be, you could be Stephen A. Smith, right? Calling for his retirement, like two hours after the, <laughs> the news broke that he was going to miss games or whatever. No, no never. Uh, man, I mean, that's that, that, that's uh, a little ridiculous. Yeah. That, that took a, that, that got, that was a serious conversation, man. We got to get back to, gotta get back to sports. That's a conversation for another day. Holy smokes. Yeah. Sorry. I shouldn't have, <laughs> I shouldn't have uh, put a little smiley face emoji on that next to the notes. That was misleading for you. No, you're good. You're good. No, you know, it's good. I feel like, you know, even among sports, like you got to have real conversations. So, but anyways, 
Before we move on, though, I do want to call attention to the fact, back to sports, um, today is the 15-year anniversary of the game Kobe dropped 81 on Toronto. Oh, my goodness. I watched the highlight of that game, the Sports Center call with Stuart Scott. Yes. Unbelievable. Oh, my God. I mean, two 81 doing points. Their, doing their job so well. 81 points. And he had, like, I forget. I was trying to keep track while I watched, but it was emotional just to watch that video. I think he was at, like, you know, 50 in the third quarter or something like that. And, you know, you could kind of just tell it was building and building and building. And the Lakers were down by, like, 20 points or something. Yeah. And Kobe just went, nah. I'm going to go ahead and just take this into my own hands, which he did so often. And yeah, it was fun to watch that highlight here. Stuart Scott on the call. And yeah, just a really, really good moment to relive. I'm glad you brought that up because oh, yeah, it's definitely. the anniversary today. And one of the better moments in NBA recent history, for sure. Heck yeah. Um, and speaking of Kobe, I actually just want to talk about one more thing on the NBA before we move on. Yeah. Um, we're going to do a little over-under. We love making bets against each other here, but you won't have to jump through any tables for this one, hopefully, whether you win or lose. Uh, Thank goodness. Luka. Luka Doncic. Woo! Of the Dallas Mavericks. He's 21 years old, and I mentioned Kobe again because Luka has already surpassed Michael Jordan in career triple-doubles. He's averaging a triple-double this season, currently 15th on the all-time triple-doubles list as a 21-year-old. Seems insane. He's past MJ, like I mentioned. He's past Kobe. He's past Kareem. He's past Elgin Baylor. He obviously has a ways to go to pass all-time leader Oscar Robertson, who has 181 triple-doubles. A long way to go to pass the active leader, Russell Westbrook, who has 150. But again, Luka is 21. He's already ahead of Giannis, KD, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, all these people that have been in the league for a while, even though some of those guys are young. He's clearly one of the brightest young stars in the league, but even for him, it may be tough to win an MVP award in a loaded conference, assuming good health and the Mavs eventually becoming a little more consistently competitive. Is it reasonable to expect an MVP in Luca's future? Yes. Okay. Sorry. Um, I did. I, I'm not even, gonna, I'm <laughs> not even going to pause on that. Yes. It's a hundred percent likely. I, I mean, you watch the kid, and even the difference from last year to this year, the, the biggest thing they talked about was he actually took conditioning seriously. You know, because this is a 19-year-old kid from Europe who kind of just did what he wanted to do and was lazy. He's even locked in on defense, and that was his biggest knock last year. The kid couldn't play defense. He was lazy. Um, he'd be caught ball-watching a lot, so he'd miss. He'd lose his guy in defense and stuff. But, I mean, oof, the guy, yes, yes. He, I see an MVP in his future. Frankly, I see more than one. If well, he continues on this current trajectory. That's a perfect segue. You've done it again. So I want to set the over-under here at 1.5 MVP awards in his career for Luca. We obviously can't predict what will happen with injuries, health, his teams, etc. down the line. But I want to know, will he win one or less? So under the one and a half line or win at least two MVPs and go over that line. You I'm, go first. I'm going to say over two. Sorry, I'm so excited to talk about Luca. Yes, I'm going to say yeah. over two. All right. No, I love it. I'm glad you're excited. He's an exciting player. I mean, he's really, really fun to watch. He's obviously, again, one of the brightest young talents in the league and just kind of a goofy guy that's easy to root for, aside from the the actual talent. Um, I am going to be that guy and be a jerk and go under. I know, I know. Not because I dislike Luca, not because I don't believe in him. I just think an MVP award in the NBA, NBA is incredibly difficult 
And I think you have to be a LeBron or a Steph Curry or a Harden or a Russell Westbrook or a Giannis to win those awards. And I'm not saying that he will not be at some point, he might already be verging on that territory, but I think there's just a lot of competition. So I'm essentially saying, yeah, he might win one, but I'm taking the field for the rest of his career. So no disrespect to Luca. He's an amazing player. I'm just going to go under, be the, be the guy who (laughs) gets booed on his own podcast. How about that? The kid's in what his second year, and you're and you've already seen the amazing nonsense that he can do, and you're telling me he's not. You're taking the field over it. I get it. Like there's some great rookies this year. Lamelo Ball. I can't even believe I'm saying it. It hurts my soul <laughs> to say this. Lamelo. It doesn't hurt me as much because growing up I loved the Hornets, and so like the Hornets are finally fun again. But there are definitely great people out there. But you're gonna tell me this dude is not gonna win more than one and basketball players are playing longer and longer. LeBron's damn near 40. And and, and he's still winning. You're going to tell me Luka doesn't have a chance to win two? Uh, I don't know. I really don't. Oh, I, weak <laughs> sauce. I know. I feel <laughs> like I should absolutely be, you know, all about him winning multiple awards. But let me put it into some kind of a different uh, frame of mind here. You've clearly heard of this man, uh, Dirk Nowitzki, also a famous European Mavs player. He won one NBA MVP. 14-time All-Star, NBA Finals MVP, NBA Champion, four-time All-NBA First Team, one of the greatest players of all time, no doubt about it. One MVP. Not because he wasn't worthy of it more than once. It was just kind of how the cookie crumbles, you know? And he won it in a year that his team didn't win the championship. It's just, I don't know. It, it's a hard award to win in a hard league that is run by a small fraternity of uber elite stars. And that is not to say that Luca will not be one, maybe is already one. I just, I'm going to hedge my bets. I'm going to take the field. That's it. That's all I got. God, I'll leave it to you to bring it to numbers. Way to bring it down. <laughs> Oh, I do. I do have Google <laughs> at my disposal. <laughs> no, I'm just that was, kidding. That was, so, that, was, that was a good point, though. All right, I'm still staying at more than more than one, but I, I hey, you prove a very you 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 raise a valid point. I absolutely respect the optimism. I wish that I was not being so scientific and numeric with this. He's probably going to end up winning like four or five, and I'm going to look like an idiot. But that's fine. I prefer that. Okay. So <laughs> let, me, uh, let me move us into a new segment we're going to do called Round Robin, where we spend 10 minutes total on all this the smorgasbord of sports news. God, I love that word. Uh, that is a hard time <laughs> deadline for the whole segment, 10 minutes. And we'll power right through a few of these, starting with uh, two baseball-related bits of news. Woo. And first things first, just a very quick shout-out slash moment of remembrance for one of the greatest players of all time, Hammer and Hank Aaron. Mm-hmm. He is the latest Hall of Famer we've lost from the baseball ranks. He uh, passed away on Friday, January 22nd. Uh, second all-time in home runs, of course, behind Barry Bonds. First all-time in RBI and total bases. Truly just one of the greatest athletes of all time, one of the greatest people. He was a force for civil rights during and after his career. Um, he was the subject of one of the best baseball quotes I've ever heard. Uh, by pitcher Kurt Simmons. He once said, throwing a fastball past Henry Aaron is like trying to sneak the sun past a rooster. 
which I love. That is so accurate. I didn't so know fun. that. That that's a great quote. Isn't I that really good? like that. Holy smokes. And it's yeah, I feel like it's accurate. You try to throw a fastball past that guy, it's probably ending up in the bleachers. So anyway, Hank Aaron's death, like so many others recently, is obviously a tremendous loss for the sport and the world. His impact on the game and on a larger scale in society cannot be overstated. Uh, and unfortunately he joins greats like Bob Gibson, Whitey Ford, Lou Brock, Tom Seaver, Al Kaline, Joe Morgan, Phil Necro, Tommy Lasorda, and Don Sutton as recent entrance to baseball heaven. Ten Hall of Famers in less than a year who have passed on. Very God, sad. Please. But I just wanted to make sure to mention Hank Aaron today before Definitely. we dive into this first MLB round robin topic. And actually, nope. very quick, since we're talking about Hank Aaron, rest in peace, do you know which team Hank Aaron hit his 715th home run against which vaulted him past Babe Ruth for what was then the all-time record I do not because you're asking throw, me I'm just going to throw, throw it out this the Red Sox <laughs> I knew you were going to go that route no it was my team the Dodgers wow that was kind of a trick question because I knew you would think oh he's going to give my my Red Sox our grumble grumble but no no the Dodgers is that the is that the highlight where it shows those two dudes like jogged with them around the around the field it is sure sure is it is a great call you've got Vin Scully because they're playing the Dodgers on the call um one of his more famous ones you've got guys running out of the stands to run around the bases with him you've got him hugging his family members when he crosses home lifted up on the shoulders of his teammates in front of a mostly white crowd in Atlanta at the time um yeah just a really really cool moment so rest in peace Hank Aaron one of the legends of any sport anywhere will be greatly missed but with uh with that you know before we start getting emotional here i'm gonna <laughs> turn us to a, the baseball topics we wanted to talk about here on the on the round robin um we're gonna talk first about the hot stove a little bit so right now the only teams making big splashes in free agency are these four the new york mets the chicago white Sox, the san diego padres and the toronto blue jays the White Sox have moved for Lance Lynn, Liam Hendricks, Adam Eaton. The Padres have made huge moves for Blake Snell, Yu Darvish, Joe uh, Musgrove. They've signed Korean infielder Ha Sung Kim. Blue Jays just went out and signed George Springer. Uh, the Mets, of course, earlier in the offseason made the blockbuster deal to acquire Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco from Cleveland. So, Kush, my question to you. Of those four teams, again, the Mets, White Sox, Padres, and Blue Jays, who are all either playoff teams last year or fringe contenders have done the best job at transforming from up and comers to legitimate world series contenders this season. All right. So I am going to go, well, first off the blue Jays always make, I feel like every few years, the blue Jays make a splashy move and everyone's like, Oh, they're the trendy pick. And then they shit the bed. So I don't <laughs> care about the blue Jays. I am honestly going to go with the white Sox. I think the Padres are going to be loads better, but they still play with the Dodgers. So there's that. Um, the Mets have too much, and I think we'll get into this later, but going on off the field that I think is going to provide a problem, and I'm not, I'm not sure that they're going to – I don't think they're there yet. I think they're a year away. I'm going to go with the White Sox. I'm going to go with the White Sox because, actually, I'm thrilled you picked this team because I actually ended up reading an article the other day about the White Sox and about the American League Central Division and how about uh, they're literally the only team that has really made any – changes and the changes they've brought in they haven't really shipped anyone out where cleveland just like threw everybody out the door and had a fire sale and minnesota hasn't done anything they're just hoping to run it back with all their power hitters which is what they kind of did well with last year the white Sox have 
they have both pitching, great, really good pitching. I, I'm that's what I'm told from the article. I haven't watched them play because I don't really care. <laughs> the article is correct, and they have like a very good lineup. Mm-hmm. And I just think that you know, for years, I've well, not for years, but for the past three or four years, I always remember listening to sports radio and people talking about, hey, the White Sox have a pretty decent farm system. The White Sox got good, good guys coming up. Like they're they're making the right moves. They're not going out and getting all these crazy big names. They're just you know, kind of what Cleveland's done with their pitchers, they just bring in these pitchers that are just lights out. But White Sox are doing with their whole thing. So I'm picking the White Sox. I love it. And hearing you say the Padres are going to be loads better, but they're still playing the Dodgers was music to my ears. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, obviously, I agree with that. I do think the Padres, I think all four of these teams will be much better this year. I think they've all won the offseason in their own ways. Um, but I agree with you. White Sox, absolutely. I think that they have done the most to strengthen their team all the way around rather than just patch holes here and there. I think they have the best team top to bottom in the American league central now with all due respect to Minnesota twins there. But yeah, I think they've put themselves in a position to be taken very seriously for the next couple of years as world series contenders. And that is cool to see. Uh, You mentioned the Mets and their issues, if you will. So that's our next round Robin topic here. Uh, Former Mets GM, Jared Porter, who, held the job for approximately eight minutes <laughs> before the <laughs> explicit text messages to a female reporter from his time with the Cubs surfaced, um, led to his immediate termination. New Mets owner Steve Cohen promised when he uh, bought the team, he promised an organization of integrity. And given the Mets' recent history, that was kind of a welcome change. But he backs that up, I think, by making the quick decision to fire Porter. So very quickly, your thoughts on the situation overall and uh, about Steve Cohen's response. Um, you know, without sound preacher getting on a soapbox overall, I think it just goes to really show that we still have a lot of work to do, um, in, in sports. It's a male driven sport. And, uh, you have this female reporter who literally left her profession to do something else because one, she didn't feel comfortable reporting it for retribution. Um, I mean, I've read the article, I've seen the text, the guy's a scumbag and, and there's no other way to say it. What he did was wrong. Um, he, he preyed on someone weaker and, and who really wasn't even from this country, which I, I think whatever, whatever. And for, I don't want to spend too much time on him because he's not worth our time. But the one thing that stood out to me is they said, oh, we did all these reference checks on him. And then a reporter asked, well, how many women did you ask? They said, we didn't ask any. And I think going forward, not just MLB, all sports need to do a much better job of including women in, but, um, it's it's really sad that this poor woman had to leave her job and do something else. And um, I think what's even worse is some pro- somewhere down the line, this guy will probably get another job. But I don't root for anyone to lose their job. But I think what he did was despicable. Yep, I'm with you. I'll keep my uh, portion here short and sweet. Uh, obviously, uh, I agree with you. We've given uh, Jared Porter... Too much airtime already. We don't need to talk about him or say his name anymore. The article was very difficult to read. Um, The details and kind of just the constant praying, like you said, of a woman in the industry who didn't even quite understand American culture yet. Not that that is part of American culture. It is absolutely not or shouldn't be at least. But, you know, he did something very wrong. He got the proper uh, punishment so far, hoping he does not get another job. We will shall see. And I will leave this topic on just this general note for men everywhere. 
if they want to see it, they'll ask to see it. Don't go showing people your junk for no reason. Okay. It's not, it's never going to end well. They don't want it. Anyway, that's all I have to say about that. It was, it was a mess. I'm glad they fired him. Yeah. Hey, hey, uh, hand, hands up to the Mets for actually being uh, of their word. Be, Cohen being a man of his word didn't doing that. Absolutely. Um, we do have a few minutes left in round robin, so we'll squeeze in this last topic. I just want to mention, because it's crazy, for the first time since 1961, that's a long time ago, 1961, first time, Duke, Kentucky, and North Carolina are all unranked in college hoops after Duke dropped out of the top 25 this week. Uh, UNC and Duke are both treading water just above 500. Kentucky is struggling terribly at 4-8, and eight, though they are above 500 in the SEC. So my question to you, how many of the three teams, pick a number, 0, 1, 2, or 3, will remain out of the top 25 and maybe even miss the NCAA tournament? Well, here's the thing. Uh, um all three are blue bloods, so I think at least, at the very least, UNC and Duke will make the tournament. You can't have tournaments without at least one. Kentucky, I mean, we'd love to see them in the tournament, but if they're four and eight, I don't care how great they are in the SEC. The SEC basketball is not like football. Um, it's pretty bad. I think, so I'm going to go with two. I'm going to go with Duke and UNC will make it, but I think uh, real quick, I, I think this is just a product of what we've all been seeing is this is the one-and-done players. Mm-hmm. They're not building programs at UNC, Duke, and Kentucky. They're, it's, it's, it's just AAU on the next level where it's all these star mm-hmm. players and kids who don't know how to play together. They just coalesce, and, kind of, and that's why you haven't seen any of them win a championship recently. You know, the teams that are winning championships are the Gonzagas and the Baylors and the things like that, whose players come and they stay for three or four years and they coalesce as a team. So I think they're just a, a, a victim of their own success. They get all these great recruits, but they're one and done, and the other recruits want to go to the league. So, But to answer your question, Duke and UNC are going to make it to the tournament. Okay. I am going to push back on one quick thing. I, first of all, agree that a lot of times it seems that um, the teams that come together really well and play together for a long time do typically very well. Um, obviously, you had the examples, the last two champions, uh, Virginia, Villanova, um, kind of just like that, where guys stay for more than one year. But North Carolina did win in 2017, Duke in 2015. It's been eight or nine years for Kentucky. But occasionally the one-and-done schools, the big powerhouses like those three, do come through and win a title when they have a special collection of talent that can come together quickly. Um, but yes, for the most part, I, I agree with you. And I am going to go with three, all three. Wow. And only because I do not think Kentucky is all that good this year. I think UNC and Duke will both probably prove themselves over the course of the next several weeks. But I believe that all of those coaches, you've got Roy Williams at UNC, Krzyzewski at Duke, you've got Calipari, of course, at Kentucky. They are such good coaches to have turnover like they do every year. Of course, they bring in five-star recruits like nobody's business, but to have to basically form a whole new team into a contender every single year is almost a miracle of coaching. I'm very impressed every time they do it, even if I root against them because they are the big dogs. Um, I think there's too much time. I think all three will come back, even if it means Kentucky has to get in by way of winning the SEC tournament 
I think all three will find their way in. They will not be one or two seeds like we're used to seeing, but I think all three get in. I don't know if any of them have deep success. We'll know more later on in the season, but I'm going to just be lame and say the three, three of the best teams of all time are going to stay three of the best teams of all time and make it into the tournament. <laughs> okay. So we will see. We'll revisit that when we're uh, closer to the end there. But I'm marking that down. You picked all three. All right, I got written down here, and it's in pen, so I can't even erase it. Okay. All right, well, we're coming to the end here, but let's talk one more time about a topic that we could probably spend hours on if we had the chance, but we don't want to keep listeners here that long. Um, I want to talk about everyone's favorite topic, which is COVID-19. So you, Matt Cushman, you are a nurse at Vanderbilt. My wife is a family nurse practitioner here in North Carolina, and we are both surrounded in our personal lives by some very bright medical minds. So I think I speak for both of us when I say that the pandemic response in America has been pretty dismal. It has taken very creative solutions, especially for pro sports leagues to even continue during this time. So my first question to you about this is which league, which sport, if any, has done the best job handling COVID for its employees, its staff, and its fans? The NBA. And sorry, I jumped in so quickly, but, um, I mean, it, without a doubt, it has to be the NBA in their bubble last year. I think, um, I think they had the right idea. They they did that play in, and you know the teams that didn't have a chance for the playoffs weren't even invited, and they had everybody there that needed to be there. And I, I think the one reason it's going to be tough to to replicate that is the you know these guys were away from their families for what three or four months. Mm-hmm. That's that's crazy. Um, I think the NHL is a close second in how they handled their playoffs last year where they had two different sites in Canada. Um, but, you know, I, I think as it's shown, especially with the NFL, is that, you know, if you don't have a bubble, you're going to have these massive outbreaks and you're going to have games postponed. And the NBA is already on. Uh, Memphis just canceled their next three games. And I think mm-hmm. that announcement came out either yesterday or the day before. But, I mean, games are getting postponed at least once or twice a week in the NBA right now. Um, But if we're going on since the pandemic began, who did the best? The NBA, hands down, with their bubble last year. Yes, I'm with you. I choose the NBA as well with their bubble last year. I think instituting regular traveling and whatnot this year is playing with fire a little bit, as is any league that is doing that. Um, NHL, definitely a close second. They've done a great job with creating an all Canadian division for the season. Um, you know, you had the bubble last year. I think clearly that is the way to go, but I understand it is tough for these leagues to stay afloat financially. You know, they need that income. I don't necessarily feel bad for them because they are gazillion, bazillion, bajillionaire organizations. But that said, I don't want to see them die because then we wouldn't have a podcast or anything to talk about. Really. We love sports here. So I also want to just give a quick shout out. I think the MLS did a very, very good job canceling their season right away in March or whenever it was turning it into an MLS's back tournament in a bubble in Orlando. I will say, you know, I love that the NFL has reserved free tickets for 7,500 healthcare workers to attend the Super Bowl this year. Literally the the bare minimum that you'll deserve. I hope we can get you one of those tickets, huh, buddy? That'd be fun. Well, actually I I was listening to today because I was like, Oh man, like that'd be fun. But they're reserved for, um, teams, uh, Fans of the teams that make it. Ah, 
Well, you're you're a Tom Brady fan, so maybe. No, that's, I mean, if I'm, I feel like I'm, I feel like I might have to make that argument. We might, yeah, we might be able to finagle you a ticket. We'll see. Is but, it, it the Super Bowl in Tampa this year? So theoretically, if Tampa wins, they're playing a home game. Yes, Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida. So that. Would oh be wow! Crazy. So Brady's got a chance to play first time ever play a home game for the Super Bowl. Man, can you imagine that? Now we're in a situation where it might actually happen, and of course it would be Tom Brady. Of course he it would mean he's the goat. He is the goat. <laughs> He deserves it, I suppose, but he's he's won enough. Not that I'm rooting against them by any means, but no, I got you. <laughs> um, all right, well, we'll I'm going to send us out here, but let's do one very quick last question. It's a fun one to send us out. Um, let's get it. Just looking towards a brighter future, when hopefully most of the population is vaccinated or immune, we can resume resume, excuse me, our normal daily lives again. And you and I obviously both love attending live sporting events. In fact, we bought tickets the day before game three of the National League Division Series a couple of years ago, drove down to Atlanta from Nashville to watch. Oh, that was hella fun. (laughs) The Dodgers and Braves, that was a good game. Great game, even though my Dodgers lost. Um, You know, we had a few bourbons, aptly aptly named podcast here. Had a few bourbons, went wild with the Atlanta faithful, drove back. Yeah, sorry I fell asleep on the ride home. (laughs) Oh, you beat me to it. I was just going to call you out. I was going to call you out, and you did it to me. You passed out after we spent like 50 bucks at Taco Bell. Oh, my God. At like 3 a.m., by the way. But we had to get home. We needed sustenance, you know? We did so. need sustenance. <laughs> anyway, so my, my last question before we get going here. Uh, once we are allowed to safely resume our normal lives, what is the first sports-related thing you will do in person, my friend? You know, oh, gosh. I guess it depends on the season. But I actually went to the opening game of uh, the Nashville Soccer Club against Atlanta United last year. Yes. Last February. And I, I will was tell there. you, it, yes, it was electric. It was fun. And I'll tell you, uh, honestly, between the Preds and the soccer, the Nashville Soccer Club, they do amazing jobs for the fans. So I, whichever game comes up first between the two of them, I'm there. I'll be there full gear. Full color, head to toe, because like I told you, I'm a Preds fan. I'm not a Bruins fan. Sorry, Mikey, who's my brother who got me into hockey right before I moved <laughs> down here. But I'm a Preds fan, and I, uh, I'm a Nashville soccer club. So whichever team plays first, I'm there, and I'll be in full full colors. Well, you? I'll tell you what. I let you go first for a reason there. Uh-oh. One, Well, two reasons. I'm polite, but also <laughs> – Also, you still live in Nashville, Tennessee, where there is a plethora of sports within arm's length. You can go to a Preds game, a Nashville SC game. You can go to the Nashville Sounds AAA games. You've got the Titans if you want them. I have moved to a bit of a sports uh, desert, if you will. There are some minor league baseball teams around here. There are some college teams around Asheville, North Carolina, but... I might as well join you. So wherever you go in Nashville for that first in-person sports experience, you hit me up because I'm going to be there with you, and we will go crazy and live our lives like they used to be. I cannot Ooh. wait. Oh, man. In the meantime, here's to hoping everyone continues following guidance from you know those who actually know what they're doing, and as many people as possible stay safe. Sports will be back sooner rather than later, hopefully, and so will we. So thanks, everyone, for listening to Bros, Balls, and Bourbon. I love that name. I'm glad we went with that one. Uh, The Triple B. Yes, Triple B. (laughs) Until next time, this podcast, of course, made with Anchor FM. You can get it pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts, including Spotify. 
Uh, please rate and review if you liked what you heard. If you didn't like it, do not rate or review it. Thank you very much, Matt, for being with me again, and we will talk to you guys next time.